Hello everyone, this is Fabrice. Welcome to Fabulous Destinies. Today I'm going to tell you about a musical genius, an icon of international fame. But surprisingly, very few of us know his story and his influence on one of the world's greatest rock bands. He's also the one who initiated the infamous 27 Club, those music legends who tragically passed away at the age of 27. His name, Brian Jones. From the creation of the legendary Rolling Stones to his descent into chaos, discover his fabulous destiny. Brian Jones, the man with the angelic blonde looks, but inner demons. Nothing destined this young native of the affluent spa town of Cheltenham for what lay ahead, except for his burning desire to live and pursue his passion, music. Sandwiched between an engineer father and a piano teacher mother, his adolescence foreshadowed the rebellion and transgressions to come. Early on, Brian dropped out of school to dedicate himself to jazz and blues, and, well, girls. Already a father of two at age 15, his family had to manage the adoption of his illegitimate children. It was a scandal in their bourgeois province, and he became the fear of parents and an outcast at school. His parents sent him to Germany, hoping to escape the shame. In vain, returning to England two months later, Brian was rejected by everyone. He locked himself in his room with his records and guitar, dreaming of becoming a rock star. Upon reaching adulthood, Brian left his dull hometown for London in 1961. It was a revelation. London was buzzing with excitement. The swinging London era had arrived. The English capital was the city of pop and fashion. British youth were in the spotlight, living a hedonistic lifestyle with the musical spirit of those years. Flashy colors, miniskirts, and rock and roll were the essence of Carnaby Street. Brian's ambition only grew stronger. He had to create a revolutionary rock band. His signature was his genius in playing multiple instruments, including guitar, piano, bass, vibraphone, congas, trombone, banjo, and even the dulcimer, a medieval origin string instrument. He was also a great scholar of African-American blues at a time when few were interested in this music genre. The quiet teenager had transformed into a decadent dandy hanging out in jazz clubs with his distinctive lock of blonde hair in search of professional connections. His territory was the Ealing Jazz Club. Brian went there almost every night. To stay hydrated, everyone consumed large quantities of alcohol. In 1962, a group called Blues Incorporated performed regularly in the club. Without a permanent singer, they invited volunteers to join them every Saturday, including a certain Mick Jagger who performed publicly with them for the first time. 
Brian, on the other hand, began accompanying them on the guitar, and the group was highly impressed by his virtuosity. He joined the group under the pseudonym Elmo Lewis. On the evening of April 7, 1962, Jones stood on the stage of the Ealing Jazz Club, holding his new Gibson acoustic guitar. All eyes were on him as he performed Elmore James's Dust My Blues with the group. In the audience, two other musicians, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards, were impressed. After this performance, Richards and Jagger immediately congratulated Jones. What a performance, what a sound! Jones suggested that they join the group more regularly. But Brian Jones quickly felt constrained. He wanted to create his own band. Mick Jagger as the lead singer would be perfect. Mick agreed, but only if they could bring in Keith. They still needed a drummer, and Charlie Watts, already part of Blues Incorporated, agreed to join them for a fee. So this new unnamed group began rehearsing in the back rooms of pubs. Brian took charge of the group and tried to find gigs, but the beginnings were modest and money was tight. Mick was a student at the London School of Economics and received a scholarship, but the other two struggled to find part-time work without success. It was a certain John Mansfield, the owner of the Ricky Tai Club in Windsor, who put them on stage for their first concert. It was December 26, 1962. When the owner asked Brian for the band's name, he replied with the first thing that came to mind, Rolling Stone, a title by Muddy Waters that he admired. Before we continue with this episode, a quick break to give the floor to our partner, without whom this podcast could not exist. Don't go away, we'll be right back. From then on, the Rolling Stones started off with a bang, and they needed a manager. In 1963, Brian Jones, the undisputed leader, signed with Andrew Lug Oldham. Oldham's primary advice was to start composing and stop doing covers if they wanted to make a big. Jones didn't know how to compose or write, but he knew how to arrange, and often it was his brilliant ideas that added the unique touch to his song. He retained his distinctiveness by incorporating unconventional instruments, such as the sitar, which is so recognizable in the intro of Painted Black. The Jagger-Richards duo started to dominate the group. They composed all the songs, but learned from their manager that Jones was paid five pounds more than them and marked the beginning of ego clashes. The atmosphere grew increasingly toxic, and Jones, fragile and unstable, began to drown in drugs. Was it this unhealthy leadership with the band that led to Jones's downfall? Perhaps. But that's not the only reason for his decline. Brian had a complex personality and a taste for excess from the start. In 1965, the group was at its peak with the release of Satisfaction. Groupies screamed at their concerts, radios played their song on repeat, and they graced the headlines. Among these fans, one caught Brian's eye more than the others, Anita Pallenberg. This young Italian model with her blonde bangs just like his was his mirror image. The attraction was magnetic, and Anita began to accompany the group on tour, offering her opinions on the songs and sharing their drugs. Together, they became the most perfectly matched and scandalous couple in London. 
The stones were exploding. Brian was 23 years old and he was at the pinnacle of his life. But yes, but his drug addiction was only getting worse. Growing increasingly distant from the stones, Brian would sometimes disappear without notice or miss studio sessions. Faced with his insecurities, alcohol and drugs seemed to be his refuge. It was a vicious circle. In addition to isolating himself, Brian became violent towards Anita. The sultry image of the stones clung to them, so the group decided to step away from London for a while. It was February 1967. Their destination, Morocco, a place Brian was familiar with, especially for getting illicit substances. Mick and his new girlfriend, Marianne Faithful, Anita, Brian and Keith were on this journey. But on the way, Brian fell ill and had to be hospitalized in Albi. His fiancée continued the journey with the others, and as you might guess, Anita and Keith began to grow closer. Brian found out when he joined them in Marrakesh. For him, it was a leap into the void, the ultimate betrayal and anxiety. A few days later, the two couples left Morocco without notice, leaving Brian alone without a word in the Moroccan capital. Upon his return to London, he found his home searched again, and drugs were still found there. Jones was now in the authorities' crosshairs. The descent into hell was well underway. Jones oscillated between paranoia and persecution delusions. He decided to retreat and in November 1968 he bought a house with a pool in Sussex, south of London. But his country retreat was anything but moderate. Excesses in all forms, food, drugs, alcohol, medications. He spent his days between delirium and apathy and he was absolutely incapable of keeping up with the pace of the Rolling Stones. At the end of the year, the group organized a TV show, The Rock and Roll Circus, which brought together many of the era's great names, John Lennon, The Who, Eric Clapton. Brian played with the group, and it would be his last public performance with them. You've heard of Oxford Circus? You've heard of Piccadilly Circus? And this is the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus. In the middle of 1969, Keith Richards, Mick Jagger, and Charlie Watts went to Brian's secluded property, where he was living as a recluse. What they told him didn't entirely surprise him. His presence had become an obstacle. The group needed to tour the United States. However, Brian had his visa confiscated by the authorities due to his drug problems, preventing him from traveling and jeopardizing the group's tour. They had also started recording a new album, Let It Bleed, without him. Brian, defeated but resigned, accepted his fate, which was to be excluded from his own group, the one he had founded six years earlier. On July 2nd, 1969, after drowning his sorrows and an excessively boozy evening, Bryant went for a swim in his pool. The sleeping pill he had taken earlier in the overheated water allegedly caused him to fall asleep. He was found at the bottom of the pool, accidentally deceased. He was 27 years old. The music world was shaking, tributes poured in. The Stones paid tribute to him with a release of White Butterflies during a concert in High Park. 
playing I'm Yours and I'm Hers by Johnny Winter, one of Brian's favorite songs. Bill Wyman, the Rolling Stones' original bassist, has always insisted, without Brian Jones, there would have been no Rolling Stones, period. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fabulous Destinies. Feel free to share with us stories that you would like to hear on your favorite listening platform or via Baba Bam's Instagram or Twitter page. We'll be happy to discover them. <laughs>